contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Bouncy. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk about LPS. Actually, we're going to talk about hexaesylated LPS. You just want to make it smarter sounding. Lipopolysaccharide. You just wanted to sound yeah, smart. Totally. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Yeah, so then he's showing me this video of their stove. He has a gas stove, and they left the flame on, like, overnight from the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> prior. does not sound safe. No. You don't want to leave that on. It happens a lot. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Patty Devers, how are you? I'm living Your my best, best life, life. Uh-huh. thankfully, because I don't leave my stove on overnight. It, it does not seem like something you should be doing on, a, no. on the reg. No, <laughs> no flame, and it's going to bed. <laughs> just, yeah, just leave that gas on. <laughs> Um, anyway, this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. And uh, as always. Right. I mean, as of always. Course. Right. And if you, it's where we talk about stuff like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, all that stuff that you guys are into. That's why you're here, I think. Uh, or maybe you just like hearing our nonsense. <laughs> sword. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> accidental. if you found us by accident, maybe go over to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps subscribe to the show, rate, review, do all the stuff, hit the stars, yeah. hit stuff. Yeah. I will say with the gas thing, what? I used to be like super paranoid around any sort of gas yeah. until I installed and then uninstalled the gas logs <laughs> in my house. Well, there's a and reason you I, uninstalled it then. <laughs> you it wasn't that reason. Oh. It, was, it just wasn't put, producing heat. So, oh. uh, yeah, but like I learned that basically because of the pressure, you know, it's it's for the most part, you're, if, if the flame's going, then it, there's no major hazard. But uh, but it's an still, open flame. It's an open flame. Yeah, you don't want to leave like wood burning fire, just right. fire going on in your fireplace you're overnight. I'm yeah. not doing that. You wanna put the, you wanna, you, you, generally, here's a good rule. <laughs> Before you go to sleep, put out any fire. <laughs> right? That's a good rule. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. Well, speaking of fire, uh, we're going to talk about inflammation well today. Thank you. See what I did there? Yeah. Well, you were talking about LPS... I said hexa LPS. Maybe we should bring it all the way back. How do we bring it all the way back? What what do we bring hexa LPS? Like where where's <laughs> back from that? <laughs> I don't I don't even know where we are. Let alone how to get back. Well, LPS lipopolysaccharide uh-huh. is in the backbone of gram negative bacteria. But to your point earlier, hold on. Do people know in what the gram backbone? Neg- Did you say in the backbone? The outer layer. Okay, good, because I'm pretty sure bacteria don't have backbones. No, no, but they do have layers. Yes, right. sure, I'll give you that. Sorry, I'm so, being so difficult. Yes, you are being difficult. So in order to get to LPS and then a different kind of LPS, we need to figure out where it comes from, and it comes from gram-negative bacteria. And before we started, you're like, do you think people know what gram-negative and gram-positive means? Sure, asking for a friend. Because <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening True. knows the difference. They have a, a chart in their brain that's like, oh, those are the gram-positive and mm-hmm. those are the gram-negative, right? right? Yeah. But I think if you remember back to biology, did you do this in high school biology? High school, school biology? Yeah, no. Did you? No. Well, there's different kinds of bacteria. There's gram-positive bacteria, which do not have an outer lipid membrane, and then gram-negative does have an outer lipid membrane, which okay. is important All for right. like virulence and the ability to target antibiotics toward it. But really, when it comes down to it, when you stain it and you put it on a slide, 
the gram positives turn blue and the gram negatives don't. Okay. But do, what are some examples of them? Uh, well, with gram positive, uh, I think like strep, beta hemolytic strep, staph, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are gram positive. Probably the most common ones. There's also things like mycobacterium and even mm-hmm. bacillus, even some yeast. Candida albicans is gram positive technically. This is here, so. On the gram negative side, you got a lot more. You've got a lot of your more pseudomonas and citrobacter and e coli salmonella uh shigella actually hmm. um so th- there's a bunch on the gram negative side as well so why is this important and why are we bringing it up mm-hmm. because we just said that the gram negative bacteria have that outer lipid membrane mm-hmm. and one component of that outer membrane is lps or lop lipopolysaccharide, which gets released into your circulation upon disruption of that bacterial wall. Ah, I see. I see. And I'm assuming, because we're going to be talking about it, is that LPS has some clinical somethings Mm. associated with it, right? That's what we're talking about. That's exactly right. Overview. LPS, you're probably familiar. It gets a rap as being uh, somewhat of an endotoxin, Mm -hmm. right? It Mm -hmm. causes disruption, disturbances in the GI tract and also systemically. So this is one thing that we need to keep an eye out for GI inflammation, but then also from a systemic point of view, we think about systemic inflammation as well, right? Right, right. And the LPS that's formed within your GI tract can make its way through into systemic circulation if you have a disruption of that barrier, sure. the gut barrier. Yeah, permeability. So Increased Correct. permeability is also a big player in how much LPS activity from your GI tract ends up uh, in systemic circulation. So. That's one thing to keep an eye on. And given the fact that it's an endotoxin, it can right. probably directly contribute to permeability itself as well. So um, that's that's something to keep in mind. And I think you just said it, that LPS is important because it can affect those junctions, number mm-hmm. one. And LPS has the ability to like start those signaling events that trigger the release of cytokines from macrophages in the entire systemic you inflammatory cascade. You My God, no. You do not want cytokines floating around. Well, how come? What causes, what happens after the cytokines are released and the inflammatory cascade gets going. Well, so if you have systemic inflammation, right? Inflammation Mm -hmm. is one of these core root functions that needs to be balanced. And so with high levels of hexa-LPS in the blood, it's been shown and observed uh, that that is associated with inflammatory conditions such as obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and also Alzheimer's disease. So... um, not 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 good, right? No. Now again, those are associations, but it it traces itself back to this overall inflammatory burden in the system. And if you combine that with metabolic syndrome and other inflammatory conditions like obesity, then you're you're feeding the fire, right? Right, right. And you want to put that fire out before you go to sleep. <laughs> Talking to you, Craig. Okay, but I think most clinicians are familiar with LPS as an endotoxemia and that concept. Uh-huh. All right? Yeah. So At least in our space, yeah. Right, yeah. at least in our space. And so then if I can kind of further focus this, what we're talking about today is something called hexa-acylated LPS, which yeah. is different than LPS. And I was wondering maybe if you can explain the difference between just having that lipopolysaccharide release from the gram-negative outer wall, mm-hmm. what makes hexa LPS different. Yeah, because there's a lot of nuance, right? And so we want to make sure that if you just think of LPS, lipopolysaccharide, that doesn't sound all that dangerous. That Mm -mm. sounds like a cell wall. Yep. Right? And so, or a cell membrane for us mammals. And so what really is happening here is that the LPS in certain bacterial species, a lot of them in the proteobacter, they produce a lipid with, uh, you break that 
lipid polysaccharide into components, one of the components is called lipid A, okay. right? And that's kind of like the fatty acid, you know, lots of fatty acid chains okay. all bunched together that uh -huh. really sits within the bacterial right. uh, wall. And so that lipid A is the part of LPS that's actually the most problematic. And so certain bacteria um, create LPS that have... Um, essentially two acyl chains, two fatty acid chains, three fatty acid chains. But once you get up to six... Hence the hexa. Hexa or more acyl chains, then, and that's why it's called hexa-acylated, um, that's where it starts interacting with toll-like receptor 4 in, with our immune system, resulting in activation of the inflammatory cascade. So okay. that's that's the Got big it. deal. So um, it really is specific to LPS that is hexa or above, meaning... Six, six or seven, more eight, ACL nine, chains, ten, yeah. and that's just related to specific pathogens and some commensal bacteria. So, but but the LPS that has less than six, like if there's five, if it's like Penta or only four, yeah, they can interact with the toll-like receptor, but not incite that inflammatory cytokine cascade. Yeah, it's actually been shown to help stimulate immune tolerance, actually. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you can even start to distinguish some of these guys as commensal versus right. pathobiont or true pathogen. So that's that's the main distinguishing. So LPS as a whole, not a mm. big deal, but hexa-LPS and greater, big deal. I think one important distinction yeah. is that what makes hexa LPS dangerous is when it crosses that gut barrier and gets into systemic circulation. So yeah. it's really not a problem until it gets into your systemic circulation. Yeah, that's right. So we would go back to some of the things that help protect um, and encourage good barrier function at the level of the GI tract. And so, you know, I think a lot of our uh, very soothing herbs, our mucilaginous herbs, things like marshmallow um, and slippery elm are always important to help encourage the the mucosal layer. You also think about L-glutamine as an amino acid supplement to help support protection of the gut barrier. Um, and even some of our herbs that can be kind of crossover, like I'm thinking of berberine mm -hmm. um, or golden seal that can help modulate the microbiome in certain ways, but are also important in gut barrier function. So um, those are some things to think of from a, from a, you know, improve, yeah, improving intestinal permeability right. or right. decreasing it. But I think conversely, there are things that make things worse. I got to throw an aloe because I'm a big aloe fan. <laughs> you are a big aloe fan. I love aloe. I know you do. Well, conversely, there are things that can promote LPS and hexa LPS to get into this to the bloodstream, right? Mm -hmm. Things like saturated fats in our diet have been shown to worsen the barrier function and to promote LPS, hexa LPS entering the blood system. And there are some studies that said like saturated fats can increase your postprandial LPS levels, whereas omega-3s can decrease them. So this, the type of fat might also be important there. Yeah, there's some evidence to suggest that saturated fat might induce toll-like receptor 4 in and of itself. Mm. Um, but I... I think we still need to dig deeper into what saturated fats we're talking about because right. I just have the natural assumption that not all saturated fats are created equal there. Agree. Um, and quite frankly, I don't I don't know that as much uh, at the moment. So uh, it goes back to what we were kind of talking about before with respect to, to protein and TMAO and, and where right. the status is. The balance. And, um, and I also know, even just from us teaching the NutriVal or the metabolomics, we know that 
You're right. Not all saturated fats are technically bad. Some are really important and really beneficial. Well, and I think I've made the mistake there, too, where I'm thinking immediately saturated fats as it relates to animal products and Mm -hmm. proteins, um, which are also not created equal because something that can help decrease inflammation and the response from inflammatory cytokines and toll-like receptor 4 is is omega-3s. Right. And depending on whether you're doing grass-fed as compared to conventional meats, uh, that's going to have a big change in the content of the omega-3s. So, you know, those are all factors that we're always taking into consideration when looking at someone's diet. Okay, if if we're talking about fats so much when we're dealing with hexa LPS, you said something about, like, you know, saturated fats, if you decrease them, that might be good. You increase the omega-3s. Well, my question is, as it relates to fats, is it the amount of fats or is it the specific foods containing those fats that might make a difference with LPS or gut integrity? Yeah, yeah. Well, I... don't think we know for sure, Okay. but I have an idea. Here we go. Sometimes literature is inconclusive. That's right. No one really seems to know the answers. Uh-huh. But we're lucky because we have someone who always has an answer, and that's Michael Chapman. What? He's going to offer us his logical speculation. I am? Yeah. I mean, come on, Patty. What? Like, that's just, it's not what? true. It paints a really bad no, picture. We're basically saying and you're the smartest person I, we know, Michael. That is, uh, that's not true. Like, oh, none of that on. is true. If anything, I'm probably the one least likely to have a microphone sitting in front of my face. But yet here we are. <laughs> I don't know why. Your brain works differently than everyone else's. So we like to hear that's what comes not, out of it. That's not always a good so thing. So spill it. What are your thoughts? All right. Well, so here we go. Saturated fats. There's several of them, right? Right. And so we talked before about this protein lipid A, which is part of the LPS. And that's made up of fatty acids. So Mm -hmm. saturated fats include things like lauric acid, myristic acid, palmitic acid, steric, and arachidic. Those are the five five most common. And so the ones that really seem to align with lipid A's ability to trigger inflammation Mm -hmm. as it relates to LPS are the first three, the smaller ones, lauric, myristic, and palmitic. And so those exist at different rates in different foods, right? So if you take into account beef, for example, beef is mostly made up of palmitic, yes, but also steric and Hmm. oleic. And there's, as I said before, huge increases of omega-3 concentrations in beef that are grass-fed. That's been shown all over the literature. Yes, it has. Um, I mean, almost double the amount of omega-3. So it's not using lauric, which is one of the biggest stimulators of the inflammatory cascade through toll-like receptor 4. If you talk about pork, uh, that's mostly palmitic and oleic. If you talk about dairy, now you're starting to get into some of the smaller ones Hmm. like myristic and maybe some lauric. But these animal products, right, they are not necessarily as high in the fatty acids such as lauric that might be driving it. And so what are some things that are high in lauric acid? Coconut oil. That's right. And a lot of other vegetable fats as well. And so you see that connection when they're talking about Mm -hmm. coconut oil and endotoxemia and LPS, right? We're getting back to it is the type of fats. It's not the type of foods. (laughs) Okay, let me just see if I heard some of that right. So... We're saying you should decrease your saturated fats. Are mm-hmm. you saying you can't make that blanket statement that depends on the saturated fat? Absolutely. And it depends. Okay. So within the food, right, you're having different concentrations yes. of, of saturated fats. Mm-hmm. And these saturated fats do not seem to play equally 
when it relates yeah. to LPS and inflammation. And right. especially when you combine this percent saturated fats with the other fats like oleic and omega-3 fats that are in that food. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean, so we have this natural assumption in our head that saturated fats for the most part equals animal products, right? Yeah. And that's, that's not true at all. There's lots of plant-based saturated fats. Like coconut and they, oil. And they tend to be higher in the smaller saturated mm. fats, which tend to be more inflammatory. Interesting. So you're telling me I shouldn't be using coconut oil? Uh, no. I mean, I think it's everything in context. Because when you look at the research, all of these signals and triggers, like toll-like receptor 4 and whatnot, um, much of that is occurring actually in the adipocyte. Because the adipocyte houses a lot of macrophages. And so a lot of the inflammatory cascade is around the adipocyte. So you have to, I think it depends on whether we're talking about somebody with metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance and whether they're having high saturated fat intake are probably much more likely to exacerbate inflammation and macrophage recruitment to blood vessel walls and things like that and cause damage rather than somebody who's physically fit and is consuming saturated fats that are being used for energy. I will also say the other outlier that we're not mentioning within this little bit of a conversation is that as it relates to hex LPS, we're talking about gut integrity too. So even if you have metabolic dysfunction, if you have an intact gut, this may be a different conversation. No doubt. No doubt. And I mean, if you have that amount of inflammation going on in your system, just by having insulin resistance, chances are you've probably got some permeability issues, whether through dietary intake, microbiome dysbiosis, dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah, You know, gluten intake, like all those things, um, they tend to go hand in hand. These are, these are complex patients, right? Ah, Travis. Uh Good to know you still have a job over there. Okay, that is a masterpiece. Oh, whoa, I hate the gee. jingle. I love the sound effects. Oh, it, the saves a, it saves a bit for me. I'll, I'll, let you know. I'll keep working on it. So <laughs> Please don't. This question comes in, and um, man, it just so happens that this question okay. came in, right? And, right? and one of the things is like, what about LPS as far as getting an evaluation, getting mm. a measurement? Can yeah. you do it? If, has, can you, I mean, obviously, they've studied it in the research. Can you have it done yeah. commercially? Great question. Yeah. And you know... We talk about LPS as kind of like an endotoxin. That person must have really had a premonition on what what we'd be talking about. Excellent foresight. No, actually, we get this question a lot in medical affairs, to be clear. And when we're talking about LPS as it relates to intestinal permeability, we're thinking gut. But really, LPS is a blood test, right? To measure lipopolysaccharides. It is. It's a blood test. But what's interesting is the history of the blood test. Okay. Do you know anything about the history of the LPS test? (laughs) It is a a huge gap in my knowledge base. (laughs) Interestingly. The very first method used to measure LPS commercially was called the rapid pyrogen test, which is really just measuring the ability. Wait, did you say rabbit, rabbit pyrogen yes. test? Pyrogen test. They're, they're measuring the ability of, of a toxin to induce fever in the poor little rabbit. Isn't that terrible? That but is terrible. They replaced Why that. are we giving rabbits fevers? Oh, no, d- it gets better. It gets okay. better. They replaced it with something called the limulus amoebocyte lysate test. Well, at least which, we're working on Oh, no. Oh, okay. no. These lysed amoebocytes were obtained from the hemolymph of horseshoe crabs. Oh, those oh, poor horseshoe right. crabs. Gets better. You know, we keep messing Dude. with horseshoe crabs. They're like a huge supplier of some sort of precious ingredient. Right. Yeah. Dude. Uh, what we're doing to those guys. Well. And they're ancient, those horseshoe yeah. crabs. 
oh yeah, and we're doing all kinds of weird stuff to them. But that being said, in the past couple of decades, I mean, animal welfare has become a huge issue. So Uh clearly this needed to change, and it has, praise the Lord. That being said, they have this new non-animal technology um, based on human whole blood, and they call this test the monocyte Activation test, or MAT, it uses human blood cells, which is great. Yeah. Clearly, we don't do that test here at Genova. Activating monocytes. Correct. We don't do any of that testing here, but we do have a lot of other measures of gut function and health, as we know, the GI effects, which can give you some clues about permeability. But we also do the lactulose mannitol ratio assay called the intestinal permeability assessment. So those are both great options to take a look to see whether or not gut barrier integrity might be an issue. Well, and another thing too, is we do on the GIFX have an evaluation for the microbiome. And so we talked a little bit about before some of the types of organisms that can produce LPS of the the proteobacter section. So um, that is another thing that you can look at from an overall dysbiosis perspective, as well as the inflammation associated dysbiosis score, which likely would have some good correlation between LPS production and dysbiosis. But I do want to say we're working on it. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about the herb Arnica. You mean Amica? Yeah, right. <laughs> as it's more commonly known as <laughs> Amica. Arnica cream. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Did you know that horseshoe crabs are older than dinosaurs? I did not. 450 million years I, old. I do know they, they're they kind of cool looking. They sort of have that big long pointer thing. Yeah. And they, they kind of look like beetles in a way. They're but actually arachnids. That's not true. That is true. I yeah. thought they were crustaceans. No, they're arachnids. I, they have eight legs, um, and they they're most closely resemble the arachnid family. Wow. Yeah. And so we're, we you might have... as well say goodbye to them because we're using their blood for yeah. kind of what you were talking about, but yeah. we they use it to test um, to make sure there's no bacterial contamination for pharmaceutical agents like vaccines. Dude, what are we doing to the horseshoe crabs? So this like crazy. they we literally like they get poached and terrible. They're like mined essentially. So um, yeah. Poor guys. I don't know nearly enough about the horseshoe crab. You should get to know your neighbor, neighborly horseshoe crab. Is his name Joe? <laughs> Mow your yard, Joe. <laughs> Looks terrible. Poor Joe.